welcome back to the next community podcast. I'm Angelo Luciani along with Laura Whalen. Hey guys. And from Tech Reckoning guest host John Troyer. Hey Angelo. Hey Laura. Thanks for having me. Hey John. So you're listening to the weekly Next Community podcast. Um, this is the place for open, informal community discussions about all things data center and web scale IT. Great. Thanks, Laura. On today's show, we have Yope Piscar from virtuallifestyle.nl. But before we get into the interview, I'd like to talk about some news and current events that uh, have been happening this week. And I saw an interesting article on GigaOM about CoreOS unveils Rocket, a possible competitor to Docker. And I know uh, containers are uh, all the rage at the moment. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, maybe, John, you can chime in. I'm wondering if uh, we're getting into a, a container wars type uh, situation. <laughs> well, we, we are in, in a certain sense, but I don't think it's something people need to be too worried about. The containers, of course, are operating system level containers. If you're used to dealing with virtual machines, these are things that would live inside the virtual machine in most cases right now. The metaphor that gets used a lot is our shipping containers. Just like shipping containers changed the face of the shipping industry, they made things more dense, they made things cheaper. Operating system level containers for developers are making things like configuration and deployment much cheaper and easier. And also they're a little bit more lightweight than VMs. So that's some of the reasons that we're hearing more about Docker and other Linux containers these days. I think for systems people, for IT people that are running systems, containers will be a fact of life. The exact flavor of container, you know, Angelo, I I don't know that it's going to matter that much. Even if you looked at the shipping industry, you saw that containers weren't standardized in in size or in shape or in, in linkages or the openings and things like that. It took them a decade or so to work that out before you got to today's shipping containers. So I think we're going through some of that today with the software containers. Yeah, sure. It's uh, growing pains. It's early days uh, with with containers. So I haven't played with containers, but I'm looking forward to um, getting into it in the future and kicking the tires on it. So it'll be uh, be interesting as we uh, move forward. Yeah, certainly. uh, If you talk to your friendly neighborhood developer, uh, it's changed their workflow quite a bit for the better. So I think that's something to watch, uh, Docker versus Rocket versus the whole ecosystem of other companies that are coming up to do networking and clustering. It's just something to watch if you're on the IT side. Yep, I, I agree. Another uh, news item uh, this week, um, it's the end of the support for uh, Windows 2 th- Server 2003. That's fast approaching, uh, I think a lot quicker than folks uh, are expecting. And I know we have a we have a, a post up on our on the Nutanix blog uh, regarding it. Laura, any insight on on what uh, what we offer or or what um, what the talk is about Windows two thousand three uh, end of light uh, end of support? Yeah, so I believe the date is July fourteenth two thousand fifteen, and that's the date of the end of support for Server two thousand three. It's basically XP end of support all over again. So. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's a huge thing for our industry. And I'm wondering, John and Angelo, do you have any thoughts and have you done any research on whether there are reliable stats out there about how companies dealt with the XP end of support? Like just to kind of get some insight into how they might be dealing with this one coming up, because it's almost like if it was a Band-Aid fix last time and they just went and replaced some servers or they didn't do anything at all, this is going to keep going unless we switch to a better solution. So. Have you seen anything out there? 
Well, if IT handles it like they do at XP, a lot of people just will keep their head in the sand and hope that nothing happens. I think there's still a huge number of Windows XP clients out there, which is terrifying to me. Uh, the fact that there yeah. might be 24 million servers that are still going to run 2003, even after its end of support, or is it its end of support or end of life, or how are they describing it on the Microsoft side? I think it's end of support. Terrifying, man. Hey, terrifying. So, I mean, I think your server infrastructure, that's even worse <laughs> inside a lot of ways. So yeah. I'm hoping people are going to upgrade. But, you know, there's a lot of legacy apps that are still out there. But the good news is the, it'll still work on the hypervisors. But, uh, you know, you're you're setting yourself up for a, a lot of failure down the road. Yeah, I agree. And I know there's, you know, Nutanix is offering a migration kit. I actually just posted a blog about that because it's a free migration kit that Nutanix is offering and some other resources and things. And I know there's other companies out there that are doing similar things. So it's it's something to look out for and something to be concerned about, I think, at this point. Yeah, and just uh, to highlight one, one item, uh, the, the security patches. I mean, I'm assuming Microsoft will be uh, slowing down or, or, or not developing any more security patches. We need to move people off Windows 2003. So that's a pressing item for, for folks. Well, Angela, you just moved over from the customer side recently. Were you guys uh, off of 2003 already? Uh, we had a mix. We had a mix of uh, 2003, 2008, and uh, 2012. Uh, we were big, uh, in the early stages of, of moving off 2003. We did have a large server farm, so it will take time and a lot of planning, a lot of coordinating. But we were on our way to moving off it, so better to start now than, than later, that's for sure. <laughs> Good. Full Employment Act for IT admins. Yeah. I hope they're moving to a web scale solution. <laughs> <laughs> and our last news uh, item is on is also on the Nutanix blog. There's an um, uh, article posted recently called Radically Simple Hypervisor Upgrades. Now, I have to admit that uh, I personally haven't had a lot of experience at this point with the uh, Nutanix operating system. But my understanding from the article is um, NOS, N-O-S, as it's uh, sometimes referred to, 4.0, did these um, upgrades of, of itself, sort of like a, a one-click uh, simple upgrade. And now with version 4.1 coming out, what that will enable customers to do is also hypervisor upgrades. So I know a lot of, uh, a lot of folks that manually upgrade their server farms, virtualization farms, understand the, the manual process that's involved taking a system down, moving uh, VMs off, etc. Uh, now with 4.1, a lot of this is built into the functionality and it will help admins cut down time on uh, doing upgrades. So this is something exciting to see. We have a blog post up on Nutanix.com. Uh, we have a few uh, YouTube videos there for people to take a quick peek at. And I think this is really going to help, again, I emphasize cutting down on, on upgrade time for the uh, typical sysadmin. Um you know, you're looking at maybe before uh, three to four hours, and now you're looking at maybe 30 to 45 minutes. So that's um, that's something exciting for um, for admins to, to look forward to. Yeah, anytime an administrator is touching individual servers these days, that's a process that probably should be automated out of existence. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. And that's a wrap of the news. And now on to our feature interview with Yop Piscar. We have Dwayne Lesner, who took some time out of his schedule to uh, chat with uh, Yope, and uh, let's hear what they have to say. 
like to welcome you, Piscar, to the next community podcast. I've probably um, butchered his name to no end, but you, uh, uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you've been up to? All right, man. So my name is Yupi Scar. Uh, you, you've got the pronunciation uh, almost correct. Uh, points for you there. I'm uh, 30, uh, 30 years old. I live in the Netherlands. I'm uh, a seasoned blogger. I've been around on my blog, virtuallifestyle.nl, for uh, way too long, a couple of years. Uh, VCDXV expert, active in the community, and currently working on a very cool infrastructure as a service environment based on, on a whole lot of cool stuff, uh, Nutanix, vSphere, VCake, VM, etc., uh, and NSX, of course. I noticed uh, at VMworld when we were kind of going through the, the trade show floor, you had a, a Hyper-V VCDX sticker. What's that all about and where did it come from? Oh man, that's uh, that's like the uh, the best and and worst of our IT community all wrapped into one. <laughs> it's uh, imagine something with bacon and unicorns and even worse. So it it started off a couple of years ago when I um I heard that Microsoft was killing their MCM program, uh, so no more top level certification from Microsoft. I ended up combining like Hyper V and VCDX and the logos from VMware and Microsoft into one giant fireball of a mess, basically just to annoy people and to let Microsoft guys know, well, too bad you uh, you don't have an MCM program anymore, but VMware still has its VCDX program, and that's that's going great. So, um, so there's that. And it's just basically to annoy people wherever I can. <laughs> Did you manage to annoy the VMware VCDX program managers uh, with that? Did you give them a little scare? Uh, no, absolutely not. They actually loved it. Um, I remember uh, about a year ago, I attended the VCDX uh, VExpert party in San Francisco during VMworld. And I gave uh, a bunch of stickers to uh, uh, Pat, amongst others. And he, uh, he ended up uh, uh, sending me uh, uh, an email. Uh, you know, I've, I've given these stickers to some cool Microsoft guys. Don't worry. They're in good hands. So yeah. basically everybody at VMware is, is really reacting kind of uh, nicely, and they're being cool about it. Well, that's good. I think, well, once upon a time, you would never even hear kind of uh, Hyper-V, you know, even a breath of it, but they talk about it today a bit, so it's kind of interesting. Mm. From from kind of making fun of educational programs, I th- you've been an MPP for a while. Have you made use of it? Was it worthwhile? What have your, kind of your experiences uh, going down that track? Uh, Nutanix really surprised me by having uh, such a program this early on in, in their journey. And I, uh, I started out partnering with Nutanix about two years ago, maybe a little bit more. And I thought, well, if there is something to help me train, to help me educate myself on, on this product, on Nutanix, uh, why, not, why not just do it? And I, I started out with version 3 uh, and upgraded to version 4 not too long ago. And I noticed that it's it's really good to have have this kind of technical certification for any product that is as young as as Nutanix still is. Um, so so kudos for that. Yeah, I know the the educational team has definitely put a, a lot of effort into it, and I think kind of goes hand in hand with the documentation. Hopefully, if you know stuff up front, then it's not so bad uh, later on. Uh-huh. Oh no, I agree. I totally agree. And the NPP program stands for. Nutanix uh, Professional Platform Professional. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> I really had to think about that one. Well, that's kind of the whole IT business is an acronym for everything, and and kind of going on that front. You uh, 
you were a speaker at Vmon infrastructure as a service i guess was kind of what you were talking about you had multiple different pieces of software Nutanix was one of them, but there was a whole slew of uh, in your solution set. Uh, I think Veeam was a part of it, NSX. Do you want to walk through uh, what what that looked like and, and how you came to getting that all working together and I guess the, the how and the why? I think that's, that's going to be the longest story I'm ever going to be able to tell. I've, I've got so much to talk about regarding this, this subject. We started out with um, a perception of we needed some kind of shared infrastructure for our customers. So we are a an outsourcing partner, service provider. We were basically sick and tired of, of designing and implementing infrastructures for every new customer over and over again. Um, so we started out three years ago by just thinking, what do we need? What do we want? And we, uh, we thought about uh, doing the old converged infrastructure uh, stuff. Um, so, you know, the, the, all the big boys you know about. Um, and we just... I love yeah. that you say that it's old. That's that's awesome. Oh no, but we we uh, I can make this way more explicit for you. We actually decided <laughs> against using one of their platforms because we are a fairly young company. We are fairly small, so we're good in operations. We come from an operations background, but we're not good at operating all these massive, large scale infrastructures. Uh, that's not where we come from. So we decided against buying and implementing. Uh, one of their solutions, simply because we didn't know how the operations were going to turn out. We were basically too scared and, and too afraid of the consequences. And and we waited about a year until we thought Nutanix had matured enough to actually buy and implement that solution. So Nutanix were really one of the key drivers for actually getting all the, uh, the technical bits up and running. It was really one of the cornerstones, together with NSX, to be able to provide what we wanted to customers without having to, you know, retrain, re-educate all of our operation staff. And to give you a little bit of, of background as to how large the operation is right now, it's just three guys who are developing all kinds of automotive stuff all day long based on NSX and Nutanix uh, and VM and, and all the other bits and pieces. And um, so it's not large scale at all. And we wanted it to be so small just to be able to to keep it under control in the next, I don't know, five to seven years, uh, as long as this platform will live. Um, so really Nutanix was, was one of the uh, the most important pieces of technology we, uh, we implemented in this project. I, I want to underscore that. You said you only have so three, three folks on it. I mean, in 10 years oh, yeah. ago, you would have had to have a team of, of a dozen, 10 or 20 people to do mm. this, I think. It's even weirder because... We still do the um, the old private cloud rack and stack uh, stuff for other customers, and we have like project teams of, of I don't know ten people uh, working uh, working their asses off to to get a project delivered on time, and that's you know that's just simple Dell servers in an Equalogic or a Nibbler array. That's nothing fancy, uh, but still it, it's taking them a, a couple of weeks to a couple of months to uh, to actually uh, get that stuff up and running. So that's that's pretty cool to to have this solution with only three guys. You know, Nutanix were talking about web scale. Do you see the divergence between virtualization and web scale and kind of the the difference there or do you think it's the the same? From my perspective to be honest, we we are uh, you know, we're in the Microsoft business uh, applications wise. So we we support Exchange SQL, uh, we do Active Directory. 
and we don't do many web scale applications yet. And in the end, that's that's what it's all about. And it's good to have the development where where applications are designed in this new web scale way and have that trickle down into the infrastructure layer. You know, that's one of the reasons why we chose Nutanix, basically, because I didn't want some old monolithic sense. I, I wanted something that's that's scalable and doesn't doesn't have one big box of storage somewhere. So that, that the whole web scale, we're not there yet. I think it's it's going to take a long, long time before applications are going to uh, to actually move that way too. I was kind of referring to maybe more of the not like web scale from like a traditional, if you can call it traditional, but just more of the properties around you know automation, self healing in, in your environment. I guess fractional consumption starting small. If mm-hmm. if there's any difference in be- in between that or it's just kind of another layer. It, it feels like a natural progression to me, to be honest. If you look back five years ago, uh, like John said, we five years ago, maybe maybe even less, we've we had dozens and dozens of people working on on these infrastructure layers, and with virtualization that has diminished into, you know, maybe half of of the the operational capacity needed. And I think with the, the whole web scale model, it's it's. It, it's a natural progression into uh, more automation, more 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 self awareness, if you will, of the infrastructure, which doesn't require as much uh, operational capacity. So that's uh, that's a good progression to see actually for us, because we want to minimize the the operational overhead on on our environment. So you were you're running VCAC, or I guess it's V Realized now. I guess that's the the new term. Yeah. Uh, for today, are you guys seeing? operational savings in that environment now with Nutanix or I guess maybe going even a step back why pick vRealize versus another another solution to layer on top like the, you know yeah. OpenStack is the you know it's the cool buzzword but I still think it's kind of like why people went to SRM you picked SRM if a guy got ran over you wouldn't have to worry oh. about figuring out the scripts that he built I kind of see that in the same light Oh yeah, I, no, I totally agree because we, we've looked at OpenStack and, and other other open source components. Uh, our biggest issue there is it's so incredibly hard to actually get up and running in a way that does everything you need it to. It's very hard to integrate with existing solutions, and so you really have to have a, a lot and a lot of developers to uh, to get this up and running in a way that was suitable for us. So we specifically chose VCake, and I'm never going to get used to the whole V Realize name. I'm going to call it VCake. We chose it simply because it's part of a bigger suite of, of VMware products. So it, it does integrate with VCO, it does integrate with NSX, it does integrate into vSphere. Uh, we still have got a lot of options to integrate it into other infrastructures, so other endpoints are, are supported. And for us, it was just, just a really simple choice of not having to deal with a whole other suite of software we didn't know as well. VMware has been a, a default choice in virtualization for us, so it was a logical choice for us to actually uh, continue with that uh, and, and use VCake. Your company must, or, and yourself are kind of like a handful of people have actually got to touch the, the NSX code. Uh-huh. Uh, do you have any like interesting tidbits or takeaways of deploying that? in general or, or on Nutanix or what you kind of need to look out for. Uh, I know on our side, we have Michael Webster kind of working with some Force 10 switches, but there's uh-huh. nothing that public yet. 
let me begin by telling why we actually chose NSX over any other solution. Again, it falls right into the, the software suite we're used to. So the core competency of, of being able to yeah, leverage vSphere really was one of the drivers to choose vCake uh, and NSX and some other stuff. We looked very hard at our at what we wanted to support from a physical network perspective. So it, we're not doing just infrastructure as a service. We're also doing co-location for those customers who still have physical hardware or want a physical backup repository uh, of their own or, or what, what have you. And we specifically looked at that use case and thought, well, we can actually solve that by using NSX. So we, uh, we chose Juniper hardware, both for switching and firewalling, uh, simply because it supported the VTEPs. So it, you can extend your NSX network into the physical layer and into physical co-location. And that way we can actually integrate any physical component the customer brings along uh, and integrate it into their virtual environment completely uh, seamless. So I, I guess one of the tips uh, here is, is actually look at your physical network infrastructure. And if you do have a choice, uh, select a vendor that's, that integrates with NSX to be able to leverage everything that NSX has to offer. Probably the second and maybe the most important tip I have for anyone considering NSX, and that is make sure you've, you've got your contracts and your support signed before you begin using it. We don't have uh, many support calls, or we didn't have many support calls, but it is very important to, have, to actually have the product supported. And from my experience, it is really very hard to get VMware to, uh, to deliver you the bits and put out support for it as well. Contact your, your, uh, sales, your local sales teams if, if you want to touch NSX uh, and make sure it's supportable. One of the big changes with NSX is that it affects it can affect how you design your network and design uh, this I don't want to call it an overlay plane but you know design how your how your physical switches uh, are are interconnected as well did you end up with something that would look strange to existing data center engineers in terms of connectivity or in terms of the 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 routing or does it look like a uh, I assume it looks like a, a kind of a small flat network but what did you end up with? Yeah, so that's a good question. We actually uh, got one of our network engineers to uh, to do the whole NSX stuff for us, and he started out by doing uh, a lot of the NSX integration points, and the physical network basically followed from those decisions that were already made. So our network really does comply with the NSX design guides. For a lot of network engineers, that's a really different network uh, topology. So we uh, we basically just use top of rack switches uh, and have uh, have the routing, the virtual routing, take place on top of it. And it's it's it like John said, it's pretty simple. Even even I can understand it, and I'm not really good at networking at all. And I think that's one of the added benefits of of having a solution like like NSX because it does simplify it a lot uh, for the virtualization and storage admins out there. But I didn't know if you had to be like still be a networking engineer to to get it off the ground. It seemed like there was lots of um, like some of the people talking about the NSX VCDX that there was quite a bit of work to get there. But I guess that's uh, that's from a design perspective. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're doing greenfield, you absolutely have to have prior network knowledge. But if you're just layering NSX on top of something that you already have, that's kind of doable on your own, I guess. 
But as, as far as integrating with Nutanix, there wasn't really any – there's no differences in how you'd normally – if that is even such a case with NSX, if no, you can no, use no, the no. word normal. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> – no, that, that really uh, – Nutanix and, and NSX don't bite each other at all. You, there's no real in- integration other than deciding where your um, NSX manager and, and cluster nodes are going to be uh, uh, running, so on which data store. And so you have some availability integration there. But that's that's not specific to Nutanix at all. That's that th- those considerations you'd have in any any type of environment. How does local network play a piece in your environment as far as hosting? Is it fairly fairly solid for for customers too to to get a nice solid pipeline into your facilities? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a little bit of background. We run out of two uh, data centers, so we've got synchronous replication between the two. Not completely supported yet, but we're working on it. So we're in a data center that has multiple uh, network connections to the outside world. We chose just one uh, ISP to start with, just to start out simple, no no need to make it complex. That's our shared internet connectivity option. That's one big, fat internet pipe, redundant on a single side, redundant across two sides, scalable up to, I don't know, maybe 40 gigs. We're not going to run out of bandwidth anytime soon. But that's our default shared option. What we have added as an option is customers can uh, either bring their own connectivity into a co-location facility and then use NSX to integrate it with their virtual environment, or we can do it for them. So if there's a a specific connection that's needed, we actually can uh, facilitate it for them uh, inside of one of our colo recs and, again, use NSX to integrate it into the platform. So we're very, very flexible in that way, not just internet connectivity, but uh, SIP trunks and, and other voice options as well. So one of the uh, the major use cases we see for this platform is actually running VDI environments, Vue or, or Citrix uh, from inside that platform and link and, and calling is, is going to be a very big part of it. Did you guys start your project off with NOS 3.0 uh, back in the day or did take shape afterwards. And the reason I was kind of leading into that was curious about um, the choice of Veeam and how you were kind of doing backup in a, in a multi-tenant environment. Right, right. So we, uh, we actually, um, I think we waited explicitly for NOS 3.5 before we began implementation, simply because we, we did have the time. We, we were in no rush to get the Nutanix layer up and running. Um, so we wanted to uh, to leverage as much of the uh, the software integration and software improvements uh, before we started design and implementation. And and from a VM perspective, we kind of waited before the design guide was uh, was available, where a reference architecture for VM on a Nutanix platform was was specified. So we we really uh, waited before the two vendors came together. And, uh, and basically told us what the be- best practices were. Did you have to do any type of isolation for for the backup, or like how do you? Is it still they have to call you if they want something recovered, or what's what's that look like with um, you know kind of hooked in with V Realize or V Cake? So you know, we're we're still actively developing uh, on those features, but as a design requirement, we actually said that. All those those typical daily operations needed to be accessible by tenants. 
So in, in the current version, we're still running V7 of Veeam. It's a little bit trickier to actually do a full restore because not everything that's being backed up is going to be restored. Specifically, we have some issues around uh, restoring vSphere tags because we are using those very heavily in our platform. So that's that's kind of hard right now. Uh, but in V8, we don't expect that to be a problem anymore. And as for um, backing up, we are looking at adding a uh, what VM is calling a quick backup uh, option, basically to completely phase out VMware snapshots. So everybody knows VMware snapshots will... I, I don't want to say it's the worst thing ever, but it's basically the worst thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> or, or second worst. People who are not from a storage background don't realize what a snapshot really is. So right. anyway, you wouldn't want to use them as a backup or anything other than a checkpoint. Right. So And they have been used in that way uh, so so many times. So what we set out to do first was try to get the uh, Nutanix snapshot feature exposed into vCake. And that's what we did, and that's what we are working with right now. And in V8, the option for a quick backup uh, has come available. And that's basically a functional equivalent of doing a, a storage snapshot. It's based on a regular backup VMs already made. And it's just a, another point-in-time copy of your uh, of your VM. We are planning on using that instead of snapshots just to be able to help developers out or, or assist the operations team uh, with points in time before they do upgrades or whatever. So that's that's pretty cool integration, and we are looking at actually uh, doing some other cool stuff uh, where we combine some VM and certain Nutanix power to actually even optimize that further. I find interesting what you are using to to automate that or even your, your whole environment. Are you utilizing PowerShell? Are you using REST APIs? What kind of, what's your poison of choice? Uh, we, we've got multiple poisons to choose from. I think we started out using PowerShell because Nutanix and, and VM both uh, supported it. I think we're moving into the, uh, the RESTful APIs very slowly just because that's a bit more scalable and a bit more flexible from the developer side. It's a little bit of both right now, and I, I think moving forward, we're going to see a lot more integration into those uh, APIs. I'm kind of curious as to how you're thinking about this stack that you've built. Would you call it a private cloud? What's the consumption model? How are customers using it? Is there any sort of self-service provisioning, or would you even consider it a cloud, or is it more of a don't, 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 don't ask me call, Don't ask me that question. That's that's the that's a horrible question. <laughs> so it's not a public cloud because not anyone can swipe their credit card and consume stuff. It's not a private cloud because it's meant to actually service multiple customers. But in, in the most traditional sense, if you look at the consumption model and the way we operate it, it looks the most like a private cloud simply because we as as the service provider are going to be the only party involved in that environment. So we own it, we operate it, but we also operate the customer environments that are running on top of it. So the customer does have a, a login credential, but that's purely for approval processes or, or billing or uh, some kind of reporting functionality. And it's it's just us, so our own outsourcing teams that uh, help the customer out that are logging into the portal and, and doing stuff. Our platform basically only has one customer, and that's ourselves. But another department at our company actually has multiple customers who are using the service. 
So we, we don't sell it publicly. There's no uh, option to swipe a credit card and, and consume stuff. Um, so we're, we're somewhere in between public and private. I was really hoping we were going to coin a new term that would get yeah. <laughs> used repeatedly over and over again. I, I, actually, I actually tried using the, the term hybrid cloud because it's a little bit of both, and it seemed to confuse a lot of people. <laughs> I, I still on some days wish we had adopted the term agile infrastructure, but <laughs> that, that never seemed to catch right. on. But I, I'm assuming that this is going to influence how you're going to build systems from now on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're betting heavily on this delivery model. We're betting heavily on this technology. We've done this ourselves right now. And we're actively looking at how are we going to do this cool stuff at our customers as well, because it's way too cool and it's way too flexible, both as a technology and as a delivery model, to not uh, shout off the roofs and actually help our customers with. You want to let people know what you're, what you're up to before we all uh, head our separate ways and, and where we can find you on the, the World Wide Web? So you can find me at virtuallifestyle.nl. That's my blog. Find me on Twitter, at Jepiskaag. I'm not going to even try to pronounce it the way you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably a good thing. Uh, it is probably, yeah. And check out cloud.com as well. So that's that's spelled in, the, in a German way. Um, uh, and that's a, a little bit of a, a pet uh, a pet project for me. That's it's like a, a a hobby gone wild, and it's it's like a community VPS hosting based on all the coolest new VMware technology. And check it out, cloud.com. So K L A U W D. Check it out and uh, and see if you like it. Yeah, well, thanks for your time and and the insight into what you've been up to. Uh, very interesting and. And hopefully uh, when we have our nominations or public nominations for uh, the next uh, community conference in Miami, uh, hopefully uh, this will show up there. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the next community podcast. Don't forget to follow Nutanix on Twitter for the latest news and announcements. And if you're interested in participating on the podcast or have ideas for the podcast, topic ideas, you can email us at community at Nutanix.com. I'm Angelo Luciani. Laura Whalen. And I'm John Mark Troyer. We look forward to chatting with you again next week. <laughs>